Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. I have um, got a, uh, a word to share this morning. It's a different sort of style of a word, at least so far has been, but we'll see as I preach it if it ends up being different. It'll probably end up being fairly similar to what I normally sort of preach. Um, but, uh, but, but at least the preparation phase has been different because uh, I'm, I'm talking about sort of the whole life of one guy uh, because we've been doing our uh, walk through the Old Testament characters and Chris said, right, I, have you, I want you to preach an Old Testament character. Who do you want to talk about? And I said, oh, I don't know, I'll talk about Moses. He goes, no, I can't do Moses too. You know, it's too much to say. And I went, oh, okay, fair enough. So then I was thinking about who else can I talk about and I was really, you know, praying about it, and I had a real, and I was, I was thinking of talking about Gideon, um, and uh, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll talk about Gideon, and then and then I went up to pray that morning, and I felt like God said, no, nah, worry about Gideon. Talked about Pharaoh, and uh, and I was like, Pharaoh, but he's a bad guy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, we'll just preach him up, you know. So anyway, so I want to preach about Pharaoh today, and and I tell you what, this message has been opposed by the devil. He did not want me to share this with you all today. We had one of the worst nights. Sleep, Charlotte and I, that we've ever had since we've had children. Uh, we were up, what, six times through the night? Like, it was just like flipping full on. And um, But here we are. We are here and we're ready to, uh, to talk about this. So what I'd like to do is to get you, if you have your Bibles with you, to have a look at um, uh, Exodus chapter 5. And while you're turning there, uh, I wanted to consider this verse from the book of James, uh, where it says... Um, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's kind of like the introductory scripture that I wanted to to mention right from the outset before we start talking about Pharaoh. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so when we we turn through to Exodus chapter 5, we we meet uh, Pharaoh in his uh, encounter with this crazy guy called Moses, and he is so crazy that he won't even speak to him directly, he has to have this other crazy guy called Aaron talk for him, and it's just weird. And, uh, and Pharaoh is the king of the global superpower of the day, which was Egypt. Egypt was, like, unbelievable. It was magnificent. They had the tallest buildings that had ever been constructed in the history of the world up to that time. They had some of the most magnificent temples. They had the highest technology. They had... They had chariots with, uh, you know, they had metallurgy. They, they had all kinds of, uh, you know, medical uh, procedures and technology. As I understand it, the Egyptians had developed uh, even brain surgery and all this sort of stuff. They were very, very switched on nation. And Pharaoh was the king of this nation. And, uh, and he was in the, you know, the, in the dynasty, you know, like his dad was Pharaoh and his dad before him was Pharaoh. And it was just like this, you know, hey, I'm in my groove. I am being Pharaoh. And, and he was just, he was the man. Uh, you know, of, of the day. And so, and this crazy guy called Moses, who, in fact, he seemed to remember from stories that he'd heard as a kid of this guy who had, you know, grown up in the palace and then killed a guy and fled. He had heard some rumour about it and, and he's wondering, is this the guy? And, and it was. And so, now this madman who's come in from the desert, sunburnt with his other crazy friend, these two old men, both of them over 80 years old, come to his palace, to his, to his throne, and say, uh, that this is what 
the Lord, this is chapter 5, verse 1, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go that they might hold a festival to me in the desert. And, fest- <laughs> and festivals are not, for their slaves, are not high on the list of jobs for the Pharaoh to get done. And he says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And, and right there we get a snapshot of the attitude of Pharaoh. Because he, 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 his first response when he meets Moses and Aaron is, who is the Lord? He, he readily admits he doesn't know who God is. He doesn't know who the Lord is. And, and he's thinking, who, who is this Lord that I should obey him? And you can hear his pride right from the outset. He's, he's saying, who, who should, I should obey this Lord of yours? But what he didn't understand was who God was. But he didn't care. You know, and he, and he readily admits, I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. So he didn't know God, he didn't care, and he, knocked, and he refused outright to do what it was that uh, the Israelite people wanted. He, just, he said, no, no way, not going not gonna to do it. And, and, and do you know that attitude is so common today? It's like, hey, I don't know God and I don't care and I don't care what he wants me to do because it's just not on my radar right now. Maybe when I'm on my deathbed, I'll think about some, you know, sort of prayer that I can pray in a desperate emergency to hopefully get in. But until that time, it's my way, baby, or the highway, you know. And so just, there's not, God's not on the radar, you know. So we actually live in a world where we have got pharaohs all around us who are kings of their own little world, kings of their own, uh, what do you call it, little kingdom they're going on, you know. It's like, hey, you know, I've, you know, I've got my, you know, little, you know, little things that I can say to all my friends on on the Facebook and, you know, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm my own little king, you know, and I, and I don't care what God says because, you know, I am my own king. You know, I am king of my own kingdom. And it's a very familiar attitude, this attitude of pride that, uh, that Pharaoh had. But the problem with, with rejecting God outright like that is that it can make God annoyed. And, uh, and that's what happened. And as it says uh, repeatedly in the story, when you read this Exodus story between Moses and Pharaoh, there's this continual uh, battle going on between the two guys, and, and but particularly between Pharaoh and God, because he was in rebellion against God and, and had, had refused to, uh, to get to know God at all. The interesting thing is it's not always like this in the Bible. When the Queen of Sheba met, met King Solomon, it was obviously a different sort of circumstance, but the Queen of Sheba was so impressed with the God of Israel that she converted, and her whole nation converted to follow God. And so the Queen of Sheba shows us one way that someone can react as a king or a queen to meeting the Lord. Pharaoh shows us the other extreme, and he rejects God and says, no way, not interested, and then on that basis goes on. And, uh, and he says, no way. Now, so what ends up happening as we read the story? Because God was determined to rescue his people. He wanted to get his people out of slavery and off uh, into freedom. And so there begins to be a series of disasters start happening to Egypt uh, as a result of Pharaoh not wanting to let the people go. He had good reason not to want the people to go because that was his entire slave workforce. He did all the building. They had no rights and they got no pay. And so they just got all this stuff built for them effectively for free. And so Pharaoh, looking at it purely naturally, says, I don't care what goes on. You guys aren't going because if you all leave, then this whole nation stops. So he's, he's thinking that there's no way knowing these people are going. Right? So he's absolutely adamant they're not leaving. 
So as you read through chapter 5, we see uh, that they, he starts to oppress the people uh, and then uh, they, uh, Aaron and Moses begin to perform miracles for him. And the first one is that he throws his, his staff on the ground and it turns into a snake. And Pharaoh is quite impressed until his own, his own occult magicians are able to perform the same miracle. And he goes, oh, oh, so you're just another one of these magicians. Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, no worries. So the Lord is just like another one of these gods that we've got here in the, here in the temple down the road. He's not that impressed. But then Moses' snake went and ate the other snakes and then turned back into a staff. And so it must have been a bit fatter after that. I don't know the stick or figure. But anyway, um, so Pharaoh's not particularly impressed. And then there's a, there's a plague of blood. And so Moses goes up to the Nile one day and gives it a bit of a whack with his fat staff. And, uh, and then all of a sudden the Nile turns into blood. And so Pharaoh goes, magicians, you know, what's with this blood thing? And they go, oh, you know, where is your majesty? And then they're able to perform the same trick. And he thinks, oh, you see, he's just another one of these magicians. And he's not thinking anything particularly of it. Then all of a sudden now there's a plague of frogs. Frogs everywhere. Like, I don't know, see, on the coast we don't really get plagues. I grew up in the bush. Out there we got plagues. We would get mouse plagues where you would flip over a piece of tin and mice would scatter everywhere. And, and plagues are not very pleasant. And they had a plague of frogs. And the frogs come up out of the Nile everywhere, hopping around all through the shopping centre, all through the house, all through everything, all through the school, all through the palace. There were frogs absolutely everywhere. And Pharaoh is sick of it. And he says, can we get rid of these... He speaks to his magicians, guys, can you do this thing with the frogs? They go, oh yes, your majesty, no problem. And so then they're able to do a bit of a frog thing as well. And so he thinks, far out, I'm sick of this Moses guy. And then so he goes and says, Moses, listen, can you pray that God takes away the frogs? And he says, no worries, your majesty, when would you like them to leave? Well, tomorrow, great, no problem. So anyway, the, the frogs all die right then, the next day, just exactly as Pharaoh had asked. So they swept them all up into heaps and got rid of them. And he was, he was happy about that. But the interesting thing is, Pharaoh... You know, he has these little moments where he's, you know, kind of pressed and thinks, oh, well, we better, you know, do, you know, what Moses wants. And then as soon as he gets his way, it's like, oh, no, forget that, you're not leaving. You know, like he just does these sort of prayers in desperation and then all of a sudden changes his mind. And that happens again and again and again. And so then we have the, um, the, uh, the plague of frogs. And that's interesting, that whole thing, the way we do that. It's like, oh God, I'm in a huge amount of trouble, please help. You know, you know, I have done this same sort of prayer myself. I remember watching a, one of my History Channel shows that I like watching, and there was these guys in some, you know, American bomber in World War II, and they were, you know, dropping bombs on the Germans as they, as they did. And uh, anyway, their plane got hit in a bad way and began to crash, and the guy who was the gunner at the back was trying to get out with his parachute on, but it got caught on something as he was trying to back up. And he said, and he said in the interview, he said, oh, I began to pray and said, oh God, please, you know, get me out of this. Because he was completely stuck, couldn't go forward, couldn't go back, and he was trapped in a plane that was falling from the sky. And he said, God, I promise I'll start being good if you get me out of this plane. And, uh, and, and sure enough, he suddenly got free, miraculously, and uh, jumped out of the plane and lived. He was captured, but he did survive. Um, and it's interesting the way that happens. You know, then after the event, it's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, I did pray some prayer, you know, but oh, hopefully God won't worry about that. I'll just continue living my way, you know. But God is actually, you know, God's listening. He answered the prayer, uh, but he's still, you know, waiting for the, you know, the follow-through. You know, it's like, well, you know, you know, you're going to be good now. Start coming to, well, let's do it. Let's, let's start seeing the results. Pharaoh did not uh, provide the results that God was wanting. Then there is another plague, if you're following along. This is in now in uh, chapter 8. We see that there's a plague that comes upon Pharaoh of gnats. Now, I don't think I would like to be around for the plague of gnats. Would not be very pleasant. 
Uh, and gnats apparently went everywhere and began to bite everyone. Like pelican itch. Everyone's swimming in summertime and get covered in those annoying bites. Everyone's getting bitten by the gnats. It would have been really annoying. And, and now Pharaoh's own magicians speak up to him and say, King, we can't do this one. This is, a, this is not in our you know, book of spells here. This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's saying, really? You can't? You, well, you can't do this. Oh, okay. So he's you know, a little bit surprised. But it says, uh, in, um, it says in, uh, here in chapter 8 that uh, the, 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 uh, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, but Pharaoh's heart was hard. And he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. And that, and that, so Pharaoh's number one sin was that he was terribly proud. His second sin was that his heart was hard. And, and in fact, the, the Bible says there that God hardened his heart. That's kind of weird. It's like, well, hang on, God hardened his heart, but then in other places it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. How does that work? And I kind of think that because of his pride, God was thinking, you know, I'm, you know, I'm actually not going to give this bloke the ability to soften his heart and listen, because he was too proud. He was just too proud. Because pride lifts us above God, actually, and puts God beneath us. And God hates it. He can't stand it. He doesn't like that whole, you know, snooty, prideful thing that thinks, you know, where, where, where a man thinks he's elevated above God. And, that's, and that was Pharaoh's attitude that we saw right at the beginning. Next thing you know, there is a plague of flies. Uh, and, and flies speak of corruption. And, uh, and, and, you know, we're talking flies just like swarms of flies. It would be disgusting. Uh, the, uh, apparently the uh, guys in Gallipoli, when they were there, they were, because of all the bodies that were, were rotting all around them, there was flies everywhere. They couldn't eat food without eating half, you know, half a dozen flies with every mouthful. It was disgusting. But this, this plague that came on Egypt would have been the same. There would have been flies in everything, flies in your bread, flies in your milk, flies in, you know, flies in, you know, in the hospital, flies everywhere. There would have been nowhere without flies in your, in your dinner. It would have been disgusting, flies in your bar. It would have been horrible. And, um, and, and the thing is that the, and the, and the Bible says there in chapter 8, verse 24, it, it actually says that the land was ruined by flies. And so... Pharaoh now in his rebellion against God, it's beginning to cost him. Because, because someone is in rebellion against God, it doesn't come for free. It, it comes at a price. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And, uh, and Pharaoh is beginning to experience this death coming on, on, on his whole nation. But, but he wasn't immune to the flies. He didn't have fly screens on his palace. They were in there too. And so the, the, the Bible says that the land was ruined by flies because of the corruption that came, because he was rebelling against God. You know, God has got no problem causing financial loss in order to get a message across to an individual. He loves you more than he loves your money. In chapter, uh, uh, in chapter 8, verse 28, which is right during this whole fly thing, uh, he says, all right, look, you can go, but you can't go very far. You've got to stay here in the land, because they wanted to go off to have their big... Uh, worship service in the desert. He said, well, you can go, but not too far away. And so what he offered them was a limited and weak commitment to God. And the thing with a limited, weak commitment to God, it's like, it's like the, you know, dare I say it, the, the Christmas and Easter kind of commitment to God. It's, it's very weak. It's not strong. It doesn't impress God. You know, there's no, there's no martyrdom in, uh, in Christmas and Easter Christianity. There's no standing for the cause of Christ in that. 
It's just all very convenient. It's all very, you know, within this very small kind of circle of influence. And God's not impressed. God, God is looking for commitment from his people. He is looking for commitment from individuals to stand up, have a little bit of background and say, I'm going to follow God no matter what. It's going to cost me fine. I'm prepared to cop that in order to keep God happy. I want to please him. So, but Pharaoh was not about that. He was about a limited, very small commitment. And, and, the, and the thing with a limited, small commitment like that is that it's meaningless. And, uh, and we see only two verses later that he hardened his heart and changed his mind anyway. And that's what happens with limited, small commitments is they don't go anywhere. They stop. Next thing we know, there is another plague come on him. God, because the thing is, Pharaoh is so unknowing of who God is that he thinks he can negotiate with God. You see, you see, and it's this continual process of negotiation between Moses and, uh, and, and Pharaoh and, and Pharaoh and God. He's just always giving a little bit, giving a little bit, giving a little bit, hoping there'll be some sort of middle ground he can negotiate to in order to have his country not ruined. I'd love to think. What would it have been like if Pharaoh said, you know, Moses, actually, I'm very interested in this God of yours. Listen, by all means, go. Go and have your service. And, um, you know, and how do I get to know this Lord of yours who's able to perform these incredible miracles? Because I'd rather have my country blessed than cursed. And I wonder what Egypt might have looked like if they've, you know, if you'd have had that attitude instead. Unfortunately, he didn't. And so every time he tries to negotiate with Moses and God, God says, oh, forget that, Moses. Go out and wave your, you know, wave your staff and do some other terrible thing to the country. And so, so that happened next. And so there was a plague on the livestock. The Bible says in um, chapter 9 that uh, the, the, the plague on the livestock killed the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the cattle, the sheep, and the goats. Every single one of the livestock of the Egyptian nationals dropped dead overnight. This is an economic catastrophe for the country. Like, it's absolutely, like you're talking GFC times 10. Everything died. Everything dropped dead. And the only, one, only animals that did not die were the animals that the Israelite people owned. And see, the thing is, God throughout all the plagues was differentiating his people to the people of the world who were oppressing God's people. And this wasn't just Pharaoh. Like, all the Egyptians were kind of in on it because they were all on the take from this whole slave labor force. And so they were all in on it. And this is a catastrophe for the nation. This would be like in our world if all of a sudden we went down to the petrol station and there was no more fuel. None. And all of the electricity went out. There's no more, there's no more transport. They can't get, you know, the camels aren't there to move the goods around. The chariots won't work because there's no horses to tow them anymore. Like, there's no more cheese. There's no more milk. There's no more meat because it's all rotting on the ground in the stalls. Like, it, it was a catastrophe of like, biblical proportions. And, uh, and it happened all because of the rebellion of the king. Pharaoh, it says, his heart was unyielding. All God wanted was for Pharaoh to change his mind. And despite knowing that God was against him, he continued in his own direction. His rebellion against God was ruling his whole country and, uh, and, he, and he was just happy to, to continue on. The next thing, there is the plague of boils. There was a lovely plague of boils. And if everyone got affected with these evil-looking boils, it was like, ugh, yucky. And it was like, and, and even the magicians had been giving him the advice, they were all covered in boils, they wouldn't even appear before him because they were too embarrassed and ashamed to stand up in front of him. And, uh, and so the, the thing is that sickness is, a, is sometimes a means that God will use uh, to, uh, you know, ring an alarm for someone. I'm not saying that God sends sickness, but he will allow sickness. There is, there is a benefit to sickness 
That is, that causes people to, to pray, God, please heal me. Please help me. Please fix me. You know? And, and if it's... Um, no, because I was thinking about this a while ago. It's like, well, what about people with cancer? You know, it's like, well, and I kind of feel like, you know, it's it's an opportunity for someone to know that they have only got a limited time to live, and that they have got time to seek the Lord before they die. And uh, that's worst case. God, of course, can come in, and I have seen it many times where people get instantly healed of cancer, and that is cool. Like that is fantastic. But for, but but it all, but for those who don't get healed, and it does unfortunately sometimes happen that way, they have got time to seek the Lord. Uh, and, and to repent before they before they pass away, and that is, and, and, and I would rather live a short life and go to heaven uh, than live a long life and not go to heaven. And I think we would all be in that same category. Next thing, there is a plague of hail. Now we've seen hailstorms. The Bible says this is the worst hailstorm that e- Egypt had ever seen. In chapter nine, verse sixteen, we can read the uh, read the story. You okay out there? There's a lot of stuff to get through with this. You're surviving? You're okay? Alright, just checking. The plague of hail, chapter 9, verse 16, says, um, okay, so uh, Moses is speaking to him. I'll, I'll pick it up. Um, I'll just, I'll read from the start of what, what Moses was saying. He said, this is what the Lord God of the Hebrews says. Let my people go that they may worship me. All this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I've raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore this time tomorrow I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt. And and the uh, and so there was this terrible hailstorm all set to come on the nation. And it's, it's interesting in, in verse 20 there, it says that, the, that Pharaoh had some God-fearing officials who heard about the hailstorm and think, I've only just, you know, bought some cattle off the Israelite people, I'd better get them in because I don't want them to die in this next big disaster that comes. And so he had a handful of God-fearing officials who actually brought their livestock and their slaves indoors to get them out of the way of the hail. The Bible says that the hailstorm was so severe, it was an electrical hailstorm with, with, with absolutely devastating hail and rain that completely smashed everything that was uh, outside. The uh, cattle were killed, you know, any, any of the cattle that they restocked with were killed. Slaves were, were, were themselves unfortunately killed. Um, and it was, it was a terrible, terrible storm. All the trees would have been stripped of their leaves. Have you ever seen that in a, when a hailstorm's been through an area and there's no leaves left on the trees? They just ripped right off. And all the crops that were growing and in seed at the time would have been crushed to the ground. And, and it's interesting there in verse uh, chapter nine, verse twenty-seven, he says to Moses, "This time I've sinned. God is right, and I and my people are wrong." And he does another one of these almost kind of partial repentances. And so Moses goes out, "All right, well, Lord, is you know expressing a little repentance. Shall we call off the storm?" God says, "Yeah, no worries, call off." So 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 Moses prays, and the, and the storm finishes. And as soon as the sun comes out, all the bets are off. Oh, forget that. You're not going, no way. And he changes his mind again. And there's just this continued, you know, yes, I will, no, I won't. Yes, I will, no, I won't. That goes on. Next thing you know, God hasn't had enough. God has not got what he wants from this bloke. So then there's a plague of locusts. Locust plagues are not very good if you're trying to grow crops. They will eat everything. And I've seen I've seen little bits of locust plagues. I haven't seen a really bad one. But, 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 but when locust plagues went through an area, there is nothing green left. They will eat 
uh, all the grass, all the leaves, every bit of plant in your garden, they will they, they would eat those green uh, signs, those, what do you call it, little boards on the side, because they because they they literally will eat it. They will eat shop awnings. You know how you got awnings over the shops? They'll eat that. Anything that's green and made of any kind of soft material, they'll eat it. They'll eat the clothes off your clothesline. And um, and that's what happened. The Bible says there was a strong east wind that came and blew all these locusts into the, into the nation. They ate everything, and so all these crushed to the ground crops that were left got eaten. There was nothing left. So they've had all their livestock dropped dead. They've had all their crops smashed down by the hail. And, and now every bit of crop they had left standing is also gone. So God is ruining this country with, uh, with, his, uh, with his anger. And Moses says to him, Pharaoh, how long is it going to be before you humble yourself before God? And then his own officials say a couple of verses later, how long are we going to talk with this guy? <laughs> Don't you yet realise all Egypt is ruined? And it's kind of like God is shaking this bloke saying, you know, how long are you going to wait? And it's, and it's the classic thing when someone is in a position where they're outside of the will of God, God will shake them and say, how long are you going to persist? How long are you going to go this way? And, and there's been all this cost and all of this trouble and all this stuff. The Bible says that, that, the, that, the, uh, that the troubles uh, in life increase for those who go after other gods. There's dramas that go with it. It doesn't come for free. Sin isn't free. And, and, the, and, and, his, and his own officials say, Pharaoh, how long are we going to wait before we do something about this? Don't you realise Egypt is ruined? And there's a ruining that comes with rebelling and disobeying God. And the, and the scary thing is that time eventually will run out. It will run out. Grace is an amazing thing, but there is a point at which grace finishes. And, uh, and you, you just don't want to be on the wrong side of grace when that happens. I have, I have a friend whose father had just recently passed away. It's not, it's not, it was not a, uh, he was, he'd been sick for a long time, but he refused to repent. And he'd been in a, a position where there'd been animosity between his son and the dad, and he just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off until finally he was dying in the hospital. And uh, his son, who he'd been in, uh, you know, there'd been some, you know, dispute over money, and they, you know, and they, they'd never really got it sorted. And 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 his mum said to the dad, who was who was dying, said, "Look, you want to see, you want to see your son?" And he said, "No, I didn't want to see." Him. So tragic, so tragic. And he literally he died, not having made peace with his son, and not having made peace with God. And it's just so sad because he could have, he could have, you know, just with a change of mind could have made peace with his son, could have made peace with God. In 10 minutes he could have done it. You know, but friends, there is a time. God is asking, how long? How long? Next thing, there was a plague of darkness that lasted three days. Now, this is not some weird eclipse or some high cloud or some, you know, naturally explainable phenomenon. The Bible says that the, the darkness was darkness that you could feel. The darkness was so dark that if you struck a match, it would not produce light. It was not that there was, uh, you know, just ambient darkness as if it was nighttime. There was there was darkness that would not allow light to penetrate through it. It was a supernatural darkness, and it was only on Egypt. There was light back in Goshen, where all the Israelite people were. There was this incredible darkness, and you know, friends, when you rebel against God, there is a darkness that comes on your life. The darkness of depression. There is a darkness of sadness. Nothing makes sense anymore. Everything's meaningless. You know, because the thing is, the party doesn't last forever. There's a consequence and there's darkness that comes. 
And Pharaoh is living in this world now where it is completely dark. He cannot see. Everyone is like effectively blinded. No one left their homes for three days because of the darkness. But the Israelites had light. You know, it's a scary thing because it's a foretaste of what being eternally separated from God is like. Where there's no light and nor ever any hope of there being light because they're separated from the source of light. And still Pharaoh does not give up. He still wants to negotiate. He still wants his way. And finally God says, look, Moses, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to do the last one, which is the plague of the firstborn, which is where the life of the firstborn, I, I, I can't, I, I don't think it was only the firstborn sons. I think it was the firstborn of every family died. And so then the Israelites had the Passover. It was this incredible um, uh, ceremony where they would, uh, sacrifice the lamb and take a certain type of bush and then they would splash the blood. And quite violently they would splash the blood, they'd dip it in the bowl and they'd whack the top of the doorpost and then they'd whack either side of the doorpost uh, of their home. With, and it was a, this very violent shaking of the blood and it was and it's an incredible prophetic picture of the crucifixion which was to come many thousands of years later. And, and the, the blood was shed around their homes to protect them. And so then the night of, the, the night of this plague of the firstborn, the Israelites were all protected because the blood had been shed. But none of the Egyptians had done it. And so the Bible says that there was a wailing that went out over Egypt because there was not a house where someone hadn't died. Even in the, even in the palace, the, the, the Pharaoh's own son uh, died. And, um, you know, that, that, the whole, uh, that whole thing with sin, you know, being... Uh, having a consequence not only for the individual but also for the family. And it was a terrible tragedy that took place. And finally, Pharaoh, having been just absolutely devastated by the loss of his son and, the, uh, and all of his officials having suffered the same thing and many of his staff having died, finally says, all right, Moses, get out of here, go, take your people and leave. And so the Israelites pack up and, and, and begin to head off. And, and that could have been the finish. Egypt could have rebuilt from that point. Pharaoh could have gone on and, and had a reign and, uh, you know, been humiliated, but at least he'd have still been on the throne and then that could have been that. He let him go. That would have been that. And he, you would have think, hey, that's a pretty smart thing. Just let him go. Let him go. But then, of course, the Israelites will go and a day or two later they're all thinking, what have we done? And in, in fact, in Exodus chapter 14, verse 5, that's exactly what they said. They said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. And so now Pharaoh is on the warpath. He's gone completely mad. And there's an insanity that goes with rebelling against God. He's lost his son. He's just completely now on, out for revenge. And he goes after the Israelite people. He takes his army. This is the greatest military on the earth at that time that is coming after the God, God's people. The interesting thing was, though, that the Israelites weren't walking out by themselves. They had a pillar of fire and cloud that was with them. And yet Pharaoh, when he's looking out there into the distance, seeing this weird vertical pillar of fire cloud in the distance, is thinking, I'm going to get him. I'm still going to get him. Like, and all this disaster has happened to him, but he's still determined to go after him. And then at night, you can just imagine them. They're, they're approaching and they're getting closer and they're still seeing this pillar of fire. I mean, it would look weird today. It would have looked just as weird back then. And yet he's still, even though he knows he's trying to, you know, attack what God is doing, he's still insanely going after it. Finally then, they're, um, 
The Israelites flee through the Red through the Red Sea. I believe it was probably if you look on Google Earth, you can see there's a you know like there's two forks at the top. I, I have a bit of a pet theory. It's not in the Bible, but I have a theory. It's the one on the right, and that they headed through into what's now Saudi Arabia. And uh, and and because if the sea floor actually slopes very gently at that point, and slopes there's no undersea cliffs, and it slopes up, and there's a big area they could have all gathered at the at the bottom. Very interesting. Anyway, and so they all flee through. You can check that later. They they all uh, they all run they run through. There's a wall of water inside of them, hundreds of feet high. And so the Israelites are all going through, thinking, you know, thanks God, awesome. And uh, but meanwhile, Pharaoh has gone completely mad, and he thinks, I don't know what. Let's chase them. It's like, what are you doing? They're going. Let them go. And so he goes after them through this Red Sea in absolute wild rebellion. Wild, insane, I'm going to have my way. And what happens? Of course, Moses turns around and wham, the whole thing just collapses in on them and they all drain up all of them. And that was the end. Pharaoh died, along with his whole army and the whole, you know, his, his nation was smashed after that. You know, because the thing is, there's a price, friends. There's a price that goes with, with rebelling against God. There's a terrible price to pay. It costs not only the individual, but all those around. You know, there's a bit of a safety sign that got up on the highways. I don't know if you've seen it at the moment. You know, with the, with the doctor in all of his outfit there in the hospital that says, uh, road crashes affect more than just you. And I remember driving, you know, late at night on the highway on the way back to the coast to Brisbane recently, and I thought, oh, I'm going to get a hotel. <laughs> just stop, you know. Because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to affect my family by you know, crashing. You know, but, but God doesn't want us to crash either. You know, the whole point of that story, it's all about God's redemption of his people. But you know, Pharaoh could have chosen to repent. He could have said, you know, this God is a lot bigger than I thought he was. He's a lot more powerful than I imagined he was. And you know what? You know, Moses, I tell you what, you're all free. You, know, you, you can all go. You can stay or go, do whatever you want to do, have your festival, you know, stay in this country, go wherever you want to do, but teach us about your God. We want to, we want to know about him, we want to serve him. And he could have done that. That would have been God's best, but he but he because of his pride, you know, his heart was hard. And who knows what sins, you know, that were in the life of Pharaoh, you know? And he just his heart was hard. Sin hardens hearts the same as pride does. You know, Pharaoh wrongly assumed he could negotiate with God. But God is not to be negotiated with. The, the, the correct answer when God calls is, yes, Lord, I'd love to. <laughs> Whatever you want. <laughs> you know, and a rebellious person will only ever prove God's sovereignty. You know that someone can live like Pharaoh did and absolutely fight and fight and fight against what God wants to do. But all they're going to do is prove that God was right. Exactly like Pharaoh did. They're never going to prove God wrong. All they'll do is prove God's right. You know? And um, and so, friends, my encouragement is we need to make sure that we have humble hearts before God. We need to repent of hard-heartedness. We need to turn away from sin. We need to embrace God's plan of salvation for ourselves and for the world and to do what we can to be a part of it. We hope you have enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about this free podcast so they too can grow and learn to live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at www.c3cc.org.au. God bless you.